Welcome to the Word of Christ, sermons from Pastor Sean Denzer, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Great Bend, North Dakota, and Peace Lutheran Church in Barney, North Dakota. The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday after Epiphany is from Exodus, the 33rd chapter. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, Lord, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And the Lord said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. The continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. John. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there, water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of His signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee 
and manifested His glory. And His disciples believed in Him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today's readings are full of reproof and rebuke and exhortation and correction. We have more than enough for each of us to learn and to put into practice from today's epistle alone. But that can be hard. It's far easier to watch as others receive exhortation and correction from God's Word instead of us. This is what happens today in our Old Testament reading and in the Holy Gospel today. First, there was Moses talking with God on Sinai. And maybe we expected the Lord to rebuke him for the way that he is talking with God so boldly. Moses steps right up and says, Now see here God. But notice that he did not do so without bringing God's Word with him. See, you say to me, Lord, bring up this people. You have said, I know you by name. And you have said that I have found favor in your sight. Therefore, show me your ways, Lord. Consider this nation. Go with us. And God did not consider any of that to be arrogance. But He said, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I do know you by name. Our prayers, dear Christians, can be every bit as bold as Moses's. That is, if they are built on God's promises, as Moses' requests are. Because God will fulfill His word to us. And that is why we end our prayers, not with a maybe, not with a we'll see, but we end it with a confident amen. True. Yes, it shall be so. But then Moses, it seems, asked one prayer too many. Show me your glory, Lord. And the Lord said, no, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The Lord did allow His goodness to pass before Moses. His name, the Lord. Everything that the Lord's Word had promised to be with Moses. But the full face-to-face glory, that was not granted. And thus, Moses received a correction on Mount Sinai and a bit of a rebuke. In today's Gospel, we see Mary, the mother of God, also asking Jesus, well, something. She asked it just like you would expect a Jewish mother to ask it. Oh, they have no wine. Would you look at that? Right? Well, we might very well have wanted to say like Jesus did. Yeah, okay, what are you saying? What does this have to do with me? But remember, Mary, like Moses, had found favor with God. She was a believer. She trusted in the Lord's words. She was not afraid to bring her prayers to Him in that confidence. She was a believer. And it seemed that the Lord knew that she was asking for something great, something that was fitting for His office of being the Christ, which we heard about Him being installed into last Sunday. 
But now was not the time. So Jesus corrected her, rebuked her, and said, My hour has not yet come. Jesus came into our flesh to be more than just a wedding guest or even the maitre d'. Our Lord came into our flesh to be none other than the bridegroom of the world, redeeming, washing, cleansing, and loving sinners as His own bride, making them His church. His hour comes not when stone jars are lifted and wine is poured out from water, but His hour comes when He is lifted high upon the cross and when blood mixed with water pours out from His dead side. This first of Jesus' signs was done at Cana in Galilee in which He manifested His glory. But the true hour of the Lord's glory, fully revealed for all, is His atoning death for us. So Mary must be rebuked and corrected. And yet, this is not surprising or dismaying to her. It does not rattle her faith. It does not make her angry or grumpy or perturbed. Rather, it leads her to say the most profound words in today's Gospel. Other, I suppose, than when the master of the feast unwittingly suggests that it was the bridegroom who had saved and brought out this best wine now. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever He tells you. Listen to the word of the Lord, in other words. Whatever the hour, whatever the time, whatever the situation, because His words are what are sure and what are certain and what will, of course, get the job done. Now this is the most basic of all teachings, dear Christians. This is the mere milk of God's Word, which, as the book of Hebrews says, we certainly hope to move beyond and yet which no one may skip over or ignore or ever forget. And the lesson is this, that when we come to the Word of God, anytime we are in church or we are at Bible study or we pick up the Word of God or our pastor comes to speak to us even, we ought to expect and not be surprised if we are corrected. And we ought not to take it so personally when that happens, because it will happen. Neither the prophet Moses or St. Mary were so thin-skinned that they couldn't be shown a better way or grow. Nor were they so proud as to think, well, goodness, I'm the prophet of the Lord, hand-chosen for His work. I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. I'm the mother of God. I already have come to know everything and have no need to be corrected. No. Even these great saints of the Scriptures submit themselves gladly to the Word of the Lord, not slavishly, but joyfully as disciples. In 2 Timothy 3, St. Paul writes this. He says, Continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, from infancy, you have been acquainted with the sacred Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation 
all Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The Scriptures are God's own truth. They're breathed out by Him. And they are not the word of mere man. And that is why whenever we come to them, whenever we hear them or read them, whenever we are confronted with them, we do not bring our great wisdom to the Bible to adjust it, to correct the Lord's words. No, it is the Scriptures that are the light that enlighten us. They shed light on what is dark in us. They show us a path for our feet, as Psalm 119 says. Jesus' words are the only true and infallible ones. And besides just being trustworthy like this, St. Paul says that they are also useful. They're precisely useful for these things, for teaching us something that we did not know for reproving us, for correcting us, for training us up in the true righteousness of Jesus. Now, that list of things kind of seems a little redundant. And I have to be honest, I'm not sure there is a difference between reproof and correction. But the reason the Lord has to repeat this twice by Paul's lips is that these are the very words that we trip over the most. Repent of that mindset, dear Christians, and heed these words. For St. Paul says that even Timothy, who was a great man, who was a bishop in Ephesus, he needs to continue in these Scriptures. He too must do whatever Jesus tells him. He too must be open to the rebuke, to the correction, to the training, and to the teaching of the Scriptures at all times and throughout his whole life. To refuse to do that would be to refuse to be a disciple of Jesus. That means you're refusing to be a Christian altogether. God forbid. See, the devil is working powerfully to destroy each and every one of us in this very way. The Word of God is able to make you wise unto salvation. When the words of Jesus were heeded at Cana in Galilee, the glory of the true heavenly bridegroom was manifested and the disciples believed in Him, it says. But you know that nothing infuriates Satan more than this. When the Lord let His goodness and His name pass before Moses, He said these great words, I will be gracious and I will show mercy. Nothing infuriates the devil more. The foe's entire goal is to make you hate and despise this truth and to turn God's loving care and His rebuke and correction into a stumbling block for you. It happens in many ways, but all of which boil down to this. Refusing to let God's Word direct, instruct, and yes, correct us. But your Lord intends you to have thicker skin, dear saints. Thick skin like Moses and like St. Mary. If you cannot handle the Lord's gentle correction, 
you will be lost. Thin skin leads to hardened hearts. For some, they simply refuse to acknowledge that the Bible or God are able to correct or set us straight at all. They think that their own heart or the current trends in our world, those things speak truer than God's Word. Others make sure that they know so little about God's Word that whenever their parents or fellow Christians or their pastor bring God's Word to bear on them, whether that's to rebuke a grave sin or simply to readjust or realign their thinking, when this happens, they are entirely unable to recognize their Word as God's biblical Word. And so they retaliate against it. They get angry. They defend themselves. Still others pretend that they have already come to know the Scriptures entirely so that they think they have no need to hear or learn it anymore. That's the most foolish of all. You cannot claim to be devoted to God and yet close your ears to Him and what He has to say. To never interact with His Word or rather to want that His Word would never interact with us. God's Word and His Scriptures are eminently useful. And the One who breathes them out to us is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the One who gave you the Holy Spirit. You see, the rebuke of our Lord is never for our harm. Even when it must correct us or rebuke us, it is never for your harm. It is always for your good. And it is more than just thick skin that enables Christians to bear Christ's correction willingly. It is faith. It is faith and the recognition with it that our value and our worth are finally not measured in our own purity or correctness or capacity before God. But it is measured by Christ's grace and mercy, the very grace and mercy that the Lord proclaimed and let pass before Moses that day. What often leads us to refuse the correction of the Scriptures, to bristle at God's Word, or to avoid it by never listening at all, is all of our stubborn attempts to maintain the appearance of righteousness and wholeness. That is the most foolish thing of all, indeed. For don't you know, whom the Lord loves, He chastens as a father to keep us as His dear sons, His beloved children. He welcomes us to drink in deeply of His wisdom, His goodness, and His love, which are the best. Christ in Cana transformed the jars of Jewish purification and Pharisaical purity to become the vessels that bore the sign of His extravagant grace and mercy. He stained those jars forever with the color and with the flavor of wine never to be used for all of the ceremonious hypocritical pride that they used to be used for. And those of us who are called Christ's servants, even better though, Christ's friends, 
we ought not be angry at this. For what the bridegroom gives is better, always. Jesus is not a trickster, not like most are. You know how those people work. You and the feast master know how those people work. They bait us in close with the good stuff and then they switch it out for the watered-down, cheapened stuff later. That is not Jesus. Dearly beloved, do whatever He tells you. For He has your best interests at heart. His commands come with this earthly promise that it will go well with you and that you will live long. They are not burdensome, but they are wholesome. And His gospel, His marvelous grace and mercy, it is beyond measure. It is like the finest wine delivered to a party that has already long run its course. No one would have expected it. And yet it is amazing. Let your Lord's love have its way with you. Let Him show you His goodness and His name. And let Him be with you on your way. Let Him correct every sorry, confused, sinful, or mistaken plan and idea and action that you have, always by revealing His grace and His mercy to you. For behold, your bridegroom is not like other bridegrooms. He does all things well. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to The Word of Christ. You can find more sermons at verbachristi.blogspot.com and if you have need to contact Pastor Denzer, you can email him at pastor at denzer.org. That's P-A-S-T-O-R at D-A-E-N-Z-E-R dot O-R-G. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Amen.